Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule. But guys, before we do, we are about to to dive into a, a pretty weird passage, and so I thought it might be interesting to hear from you guys. What is uh, the the scariest or weirdest dream that you've ever had? Clayton, you go first. Oh, all right. So uh, I had a recurring dream when I was a kid, and uh, so it involved a, a like a ball pit, like at a play place. You know, like when you go to a you know a, a, a restaurant, like a McDonald's or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was it was not at a restaurant, but it was like in this like shadowy dark place. And I walked up to it, and there's like a bouncer at the door, and the bouncer. <laughs> Is the Club. Hamburglar? Club you Ball the, Pit. The, yeah, yeah, it's very exclusive. But but the Hamburglar, hamburglar is, is making sure only the right people come in. But to get in, you have to like give a drop of your blood. So it, like they like prick you with a needle and you have to like give your blood. And then he opened the door and I'm like, oh man, I'm in. It's like the most exclusive ball pit. And I walk in and I like get into the balls and I realize they're all made of metal and I can't move. And now I'm like sinking and they're piling on me. And I, I was like terrified and I was cr- crushed under the metal balls right, like that. So the yeah. hamburglar, the hamburglar is, is a bouncer Club and he requires pit. a drop of blood to play in the ball pit. I have no idea where that came from. Whew, you need help, man. Oh, that wow. is, what about you, Eric? That is a weird dream. Got? Is the, is the weird vision we're going to read in this text today, anywhere close to uh, the hamburglar <laughs> bouncing a ball pit? Pretty, it's pretty weird. Not oh, as weird gosh. as that, though. <laughs> okay, you asked scary or weird. Scary I'll, or weird, I'll go yeah. with weird, which interestingly enough is a very recent dream for me. So this is not Eric as a 12-year-old child. This is Eric as a grown man. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, oh, man. I don't know All right. Is. And so, all right, here we go. I'll just, all right. So Pastor Jim and I are having a an argument, like a philosophical- In your pa- dream. In my dream, okay. a, like okay. a, a philosophical pastoral <laughs> argument because Pastor Jim uh, booked Billy Joel to lead worship at the Good Friday <laughs> service. <laughs> it's a dream. I don't know why Billy Joel. I like Billy Joel. So- what? Yeah. So here's the the argument whether wasn't whether or not Billy Joel should lead worship at Good Friday. That was kind of a given in the dream that it was awesome. He should. It's, right. a, it's, okay. a, it's special music. Only uh, the good die young. Yeah. yeah. Like Jesus. Oh like Jesus. my gosh. <laughs> wow. Stay out of my dreams, please. <laughs> so, so here's the argument that me and Pastor Jim are having. I am telling Pastor Jim. We should promote this, announce it. Like if we tell people that Billy Joel is leading worship at the Good Friday service, so many more people will want to come to church and don't we want people coming to church? And Pastor Jim was arguing, no, we don't want people to come to Good Friday because they want to hear Billy Joel. We want people to come to the Good Friday service because they want to come to the Good Friday service. And if they come with the right motivations, then they will be pleasantly surprised that also true is Billy Joel is leading worship. I can totally see him. So this is a... Yeah. This oh is a very gosh. this is a very recent wow. dream. Who won the argument? Uh in the dream nobody. But I actually <laughs> so I actually in the dream started polling other church staff members <laughs> and I was getting irritated in my dream because most of the staff members were supporting Jim's perspective. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh to me I don't I cannot as of, at this moment recall a weird dream, but a scary dream that I have had quite often uh, growing up and still to this day is 
I've never seen a tornado before, but I have had many dreams where I've either been sucked out of a house by a tornado or the roof's been ripped off the house. Um, just very vivid, like fearful dreams of those things to the point to where I remember, I don't know, my watching the news, like seeing like, you know, just, just weather. And I'm just like, I can't even see it on TV because as soon as I see it on TV, then I'll dream it like the following night. Um, no, wait, hold on. Actually, I just got a thought of a weird one. Yeah. When I watch, same thing happens to me when I watch the movie Spider-Man. I dream <laughs> that I like swing from, from the buildings, from the rope like and every- you're Spider-Man? Yes, exactly. And then, and then as soon as I, I wake up because like one of the, the webs didn't catch and I fall and boom, and then, I and wake up. That's a weird it. one. There you go. I yeah. gave you a twofer right there. When you watch Paw Patrol, do you, <laughs> no. do you become a crime-fighting dog? I, no, but I don't know why those two things are like triggers to me for some reason. So when I watch them, I dream them. So. That's funny. Scary right. scary dreams. So my, my, my scary dream when I was a kid, this is not recent. Yeah. I used to have a recurring dream when I was a kid that I was riding the roller coaster Space Mountain at Disney yeah. World. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they didn't have me buckled in properly. And I'm screaming my head off that I'm not fastened in the roller coaster they don't hear me the roller coaster starts and oh. i'm screaming in terror and then every single dream i fall out of the roller coaster and just when i'm about to hit the ground and die i wake up and i, I would have that dream a lot i feel yeah. nervous with you just describing that yeah like that that feeling of not being strapped in yeah. and like it's knowing scary. what's coming Whew. Mm. all right well clayton you're uh, walking us through comma why don't you tell us what all we're right. looking at so we are going to be in the book of First Kings. We're going to be in chapter 22. We've been looking at kings uh, for a few weeks here now. Uh, let me give you some context for this story, because if you're jumping in the middle, this is going to seem a little random. But uh, you got to remember that the book of First and Second Kings, it's kind of a two-parter, is trying to answer one overarching question. It's the question of what went wrong. So the, in the nation of Israel, uh, they started off with things you know, going well. They had land, they had a king, they had the temple, they had all this stuff. But by the end of the, the book of 2 Kings, everything's fallen apart. They have been exiled from their land. Uh, they, you know, the temple's destroyed. The king is not on the throne and it looks like all is lost. And so they're in exile reflecting on their history saying what went wrong. And so uh, they're going through these the series of kings that ruled over uh, the people, and they're showing it basically that the vast majority of them were not very good kings. But there's one king in particular that they zero in on for kind of an extended case study, and it's a guy named Ahab. And so we get a lot of stories about Ahab and his wife and the, the people who are involved in that time period. And so we're coming c- kind of to the end of the Ahab stories here. And uh, we, we've got this kind of uh, weird scene here where King Ahab... Uh, who is the king of the northern kingdom. So Israel got split into two uh, parts. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Uh, Ahab is the king in the north. And he, um, there's a kind of a territory dispute with a neighboring country. uh, And he is saying to the king in the south, uh, Jehoshaphat, why don't we team up to get back some of this territory that originally belonged to Israel, but got taken over in some past war. And so that's where we're going to pick it up, uh, starting at the top of 1 Kings 22. Okay, and the section heading says, Micaiah prophesies against Ahab. For three years, there was no war between Aram and Israel. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I'm 
I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Emiah. The king should not say such a thing, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Emiah, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria, with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Kaniah, had made an iron horns, and he declared, This is what the Lord says, With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing, Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, the other prophets, without exception, are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means? The Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of Kaniah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you, he asked. Micaiah replied, you will find him on the day you go hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. All right, there is a lot going on here, and there's there's a lot that probably raises some questions, uh, but let's start with the O in comma, which is observation. So let's just see what we see here. One thing that I noticed, it was a, it was a small kind of like a geography thing, 
right? Like, so Israel, Ahab was the king of Israel for the northern kingdom, right? Jehoshaphat was the southern kingdom, right? Judah. And it says he went down to go see the king of Israel. I don't, that was yeah. just something I was like, but wait, shouldn't he walked up there? Shouldn't he like went up? You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. If you're the king in the south and you're visiting the king in the north, wouldn't you go up to see him, not down? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's Do you know why it's down and not up? No. So think topography. If you're in Judah, what's the main city in Judah? Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is on a, it's on a hill. Okay. Right? So no matter which direction you're leaving Jerusalem from, you're always going down. So you always, you always go, I used to get confused by this too. It used to confuse me. You always go up to Jerusalem because you're going up the hill and you always come down from Jerusalem. So I used to do the same thing. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. If you go from the south to the north, you're going up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm with you, Nikki. There there's you also a, there's also a, a subtle thing that the authors of the Bible are doing when you go up to Jerusalem because there is a sense that you're going up to the highest place to meet with God, mm. and so that, like that's not always in view, but they do it consistently enough that you realize oh they see the world this way, and so there's uh, there's something there. So, yeah. So that yeah. was that was just one of the things that I noticed, but that makes that's an excellent yeah. thing there. Never would have never would have thought that. Other, but I'm sure you're not the only person that's wondered that. So, mm-hmm. what else do you see? Uh, what jumped out to me quickly was the confusing reality, I guess would be the word, of God choosing to put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of the prophets. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What do we make of that? What do you guys think? A, go- a God who we're told always tells the truth allowed a deceiving spirit to uh, cause the prophets to say something that wasn't true. Very, very interesting. I don't know what conclusion to draw necessarily, but that certainly jumps out to me. Well, when I when I was looking at this, like I, I thought it was interesting that Jehoshaphat says, you know, first let's seek the counsel of the Lord. And then it seems like, you know, the king of Israel is like, yeah, sure. Like, let's do that. And then, you know, you hear of him getting all these prophets, like 400 men, um, and, and it's like, wow, that's a lot of prophets. And then you read further and it goes, yeah, but is Joseph's best, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord uh, here whom we can inquire of? And I was like, oh, so those were like false prophets. Like when, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, okay, so it's obvious that the king of Israel was not inquiring of the Lord or following the Lord probably just as, as much as what he should have been. And Jehoshaphat sees that. And so to me, I'm thinking, and you know, God and all of His sovereignty and wisdom can, I'm sure, see that as is upset that one of the kings that you know that He's kind of placed over His people is not following Him. So, um, I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. Well, if you we've been reading the story of Ahab, and so we realize he is he has made a practice in his life of of not really like so he's had prophets come to him and tell him the truth. Yeah. And what does he think of folks like Elijah? You know what I mean? Not, he, he tries to kill them, you know, he, he resists them and so on. Like there are lots of different places where he has uh, had a chance to hear and keeps resisting. So this is par for the course for him. Um, wh- what is interesting is Jehoshaphat, who, who is uh, uh, by and large a good king. You know, he's, he's one, he gets a good verdict on, on the overall look of his life. Like he's genuinely interested in saying, I want to hear the truth from God and can tell that these 400 guys, like they're not they're not legit prophets because they're just saying what the king wants mm-hmm. to hear, and that's the thing. It's not just like well they're all saying the same thing, they're all they're all saying the same thing that the king really hopes they say, right. and it sure seems like they kind of not that they're like an independent authority, but they're kind of working for the king, you know. And so when Jehoshaphat's like, well, okay, but hang on, like 
Is there anybody that we really kind of can get a, like a, an objective read on this who's really going to say, this is what God has to say about this? Um, but you, you still go back to the question of like, why would God send a lying spirit to those other prophets, you know, uh, to, to make it so that they are convinced, like, this is what I should say to the king. Um, like, it's, it's, it's a hard one to swallow. It, it, it's clear what God's purpose is. He's saying, I want to I punish Ahab. It's time, it's time for some judgment to come. But here's the means I'm going to use. It's kind of a weird one. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the NIV study Bible notes right now. And it offers a, a few pers- yeah. perspectives. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and read it and just remind everybody that that's why study notes are in a good study Bible, because sometimes you come across these confusing passages and you need, you need a little help. Uh, it doesn't always give you a definitive answer, but at least it gives you some, some options to pursue. So uh, it says, some view the deceiving spirit as Satan or one of his agents. Others have suggested a spirit of God who undertakes the task of a deceiving spirit. Still others understand the deceiving spirit as a symbolic picture of the power of the lie. The Lord had given the 400 prophets over to the power of the lie because they did not love the truth and had chosen to speak out of their own hearts. King Ahab, who was content to live by a lie and hated the prophet who spoke the truth, was fittingly lured by God to his execution through a lie he wanted to believe. So it's a, this is either an agent of Satan, like a demon, an evil spirit, that asks for permission to spread lies, which we know, like I'm trying to kind of like reason this out now. Okay, so we know that God and Satan are not equal beings. And so whatever Satan is allowed to do, whatever trouble he's allowed to cause, he is somehow doing it with permission of the sovereign God. So it would make sense that an evil spirit would ask for permission. And we know that evil spirits or Satan is called the father of lies. So this would be their native language to spread lies. Okay. So that's one category. I'm reasoning this out in my head. This uh, a spirit of God. I have a hard time going to, it's the Holy spirit. Cause no, this, have, would be, this would be some sort right. of spiritual being. So I mean, right. angel that, in yeah. that category. Right. So then it gets interesting. Would an angel be able to lie? Well, and then the symbolic thing, I don't know. I don't know. In, in, in either, in any of the cases, you have an earthly scene playing out Mm -hmm. and this is indicating to us that there is a spiritual reality behind the earthly scene that's playing out. Yeah. A couple of things that, that, that might add a little bit to this. It doesn't, it doesn't totally resolve it. So there's a verse in um, Romans chapter one that, that I, that came to mind as I read this and it talks about how um, it's kind of describing the human condition, like human beings, what, what does it mean to sin? is to uh, exchange the truth about God for a lie, is how it talks about it. And so that's, that's what all of us do. Whatever our, our sin of choice is underneath it is saying, rather than believe what God says, I'm gonna buy into something else. Um, and I'm gonna exchange what God gives for whatever I can you know, get from creation and, and so on. Um, and then further along in that passage, it says, so God gave them over mm-hmm. essentially to the thing that they had chosen to buy into. And so whatever it is that like, like there is a, there is a pattern that God follows uh, in big picture for humanity, but also for individual lives where he says, if someone is, is choosing the lie, they're, they're living according to that lie. At some point he says, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. And he actually lets the effects of that play out as the punishment, not just, not just as a, okay, whatever you want to do, but as if I give you over to that, 
it's not going to go well for you. And the, the punishment will come naturally from you pursuing that. I think this is an example of that just played out with the specific mechanics. So God is sitting in his royal court in heaven. He's got all of his servants around because God always does things through the, the creatures he created. And he says, all right, this is what I want to do. I want to hand Ahab over to this lie that he's already believing, that he should do this. And he's, he's lived a life like this. And so then he says, well, how does that happen? Like, what, what do we do to make it so he, he buys into this lie? And apparently, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a righteous spirit, a wicked spirit or whatever, like God says through this agency, you, I'm going to make sure that these prophets tell Ahab exactly what he wants to hear. And he's going to be given over to the lie that he already chose. And so it's still a little weird, but it's in keeping with the normal pattern of what God does, where we choose one thing and he says, then you can have the consequences of that thing. Yeah, I, you know, I, I also think it's interesting when you look at um, the way that that Ahab even talks about Micaiah here. He says, like, but I hate him Yeah. because he never says any, he never prophesies anything good about me. And I think it's interesting that Jehoshaphat says, the king should not say such a thing. Like, it, it's it's just even, you know, believing a lie, only wanting people around you that, that tell you what you want to hear, Um like, I, I think it's it, just that the king should not say such a thing as, like, you're dabbling in really, like, scary waters there, if that's how you're looking at this, you know? Yeah, if you only, if you only want to surround yourself with people that tell you what you already think or what you want to hear, mm-hmm. that, is, that, is not the, that is not the disposition of a good leader yeah. or even a good human. Yeah, for that matter. I'm still a little bit confused here as I'm trying to draw observations out of this. Okay, so Micaiah shows up, who Ahab doesn't like (laughs) because Micaiah tells him the truth and he doesn't always like the truth he hears. Then Micaiah tells him, attack and be victorious, which is what all the other (laughs) prophets are saying. And Ahab inherently doesn't even trust that, even though it's the thing he wants to hear, which is funny. How many times must I make you tell me nothing but the truth? So he's just assuming that Micaiah is going to say, don't do this. Yeah. Because Ahab must obviously know. At some level, he knows this isn't good. Right. All right. So then Micaiah tells him everything he sees, this vision. This is where I get confused. Yeah. So then Micaiah tells him, all right, I saw this all play out in God's throne room a deceiving spirit one way or another has got all the prophets telling you to go ahead. And he's telling them like, this is a lie and you're going to do it. And it's going to bring upon you your own death. Yeah. All right. As long as I understand it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's a dramatic depiction of it, but the, the reality is we all do it in big and small ways, right? Like there are things that we know are just not going to go well. They're not good for us. It's the it's the thing that, you know, we we want to justify to ourselves that this, you know, I mean, it, you know, I, I think of my own life, there are things that I do that. I think of talking to people at church where they are trying, almost trying to talk themselves into a relationship that's unhealthy and, you know, and saying, oh, this is going to be okay or whatever, or a financial decision, you know, or whatever. And you you want the thing, you you want it to work out even though part of you knows. And so you do all of this weird internal gymnastics to sort of like make it okay. And it still plays out poorly, you know? Um, one, one observation I have is a connection to a New Testament passage, like a phrase that I, is verbatim 
in a passage in the Gospels. In verse 17, uh, Micaiah says, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And I thought it was so interesting because I have read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 like a thousand times, right? Like it's a really, like a classic story. And it, but it begins like this. Jesus looked out and saw the crowd and he saw that they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he had compassion on them. Like that's, that's how it begins. That phrase comes from this this passage in the Old Testament. And there may be other places where it's quoted, but it's really interesting because when you think when you think about when Jesus saying things like that, uh, you wonder why people felt criticized by him, like that they, that the leaders were like against him. Well, because he's looking at the situation and saying, it's like in the days of Ahab or these terrible kings when no one was leading people in the right way. Like it's just a like sometimes you see these connections and you realize there's something richer and deeper going. But I but I also think that that image of People um, with bad leadership just being scattered and being vulnerable and being, uh, you know, in in danger of all sorts of things um, is, is really vivid. Well, I think even too, like you see in verse 13, there, there's some peer pressure going on there. Like, yeah. you know, like ma- make sure that you say what the king wants you to say because yeah. everybody else is saying it. So you should say it too. Yeah. Like, don't, don't make him doubt himself or <laughs> yeah. get upset with you. Like you, you need to like follow through here, man. Yeah. Um, Isn't there a little bit of fatalism in that? Like the king's going to do what the king's going to do. So just go. Don't inconvenience yourself. Just go along with it Mm -hmm. because he's not going to change his mind anyway. So you might as well make things easy on yourself. Yeah. It's such a toxic dynamic. I mean, this happens in families, it happens in, in workplaces, you know, where there's someone who's like insistent on one thing and their ego and their power get in the way. And then other people kind of, Get, you know, play along because it's kind of like, well, what are we going to do? We're just going to keep this guy happy because he makes our life hard or whatever. You know, and like mm-hmm. this weird, weird dynamic comes up. And what do you get? People who are scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's really tragic. It's really tragic. Any other observations? That I don't know how to pronounce K E N A A N A H. Yeah. I mean, you faked it pretty good. I did. I did. And I also wasn't even going to try the SH in Jehoshaphat. (laughs) I wasn't going to try that. I just went with a Jehoshaphat. I went with a very English pronunciation. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to the M in comma, which is message. We'll do message first. Uh, Try to take an observation uh, and sum it up in, uh, in an idea that you can apply to your life. Uh, For me, I, I latched on to just that idea of Ahab not liking uh, what Micaiah had to say. And my message is like, you know, we need wise, godly counsel, um, not to just have our own thoughts or, uh, you know, values mirrored back to us um, because it's, it's, not, it's not good, you know, to only have people in our lives that are telling us what we want to hear. That's not good. That's bad. It's, we need people who are who want to kind of step in and support us. Yes. But we also need people to challenge us. I'm trying to come up with like a good pithy Clayton oh, I type message, I, I but, just, I, I, but I can't up on that because he is the master of it. I, I don't know if I'm going to deliver today. I don't know. He is, he is the master. Let's, let's set him up really high oh, so that no. when he doesn't yeah, deliver no, today, saying, it's I gotta say something comes dumb. to a, comes down crashing. I mean, I, <laughs> Uh, Speaking of mirrors, right? There you go. It's broken glass. I I guess mine could say is we need wise counsel, not mirrored, not mirrored, not our mirrored perspectives. I don't know. I'm thinking about the truth. If you, if you want to, if you really, 
really want to know the truth, it means you're going to hear things that you don't want to hear. Yeah. So I don't know how to put that in a pithy statement. That's pithy enough for me. If, if people only ever tell you what you want to hear, you're not always hearing the truth. If what you if what you're always hearing makes you feel good, you're not <laughs> oh, hearing the truth. Go. If people always if, tell you what you want to hear, you're not hearing what you need to know. Ooh. If people so do the do the first half of that again. I said if 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 people always tell you what you want to hear, you'll never hear what you need to know. That's what I said. You'll never hear what you need oh, to that's, know. Oh, that's no, that's good. That that would preach. And preach. That, that'll, that'll, podcast. That'll, that'll podcast. That'll podcast. Oh, man. I'm waving my hanky over here. Uh all right. So as far as my message goes, I don't know if I can beat any of those. It's pretty, but uh, maybe, maybe take this angle, the like positive angle, make sure you have truth tellers in your life. You know, the, the people, the people are going to tell you the truth. So um, I think we're all circling around a similar idea. So how about this for our Sorry. meditation? Um, for a meditation, let's take 45 seconds and ask God to show us the places where we're avoiding hearing something we need to hear, where we're, where we're not listening to something that God is saying to us and, and, and we're avoiding it or resisting it. So 45 seconds to ask God, is there something that I've been avoiding or resisting that you're trying to tell me? Let's go on to the A and comma, which is application. This is where we say, how do we respond? What do we do? What's your application? Mine, mine was, I, I guess I kind of said in my message, but it was to go find godly counsel, people who will support me, but also challenge me in truth and love. Tell me the things I need to hear. My application would be when I'm traveling down to the north <laughs> to meet the king of Israel, uh, yeah, this is obviously in the, in the ballpark of truth. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to come up with a, uh, I'm not trying to come up with a pithy message now, but there, there's something here about like a craving, like we all, we all want to be encouraged. We all want to be affirmed. There's always a craving to hear good things, mm-hmm. like things we like to hear. Mm-hmm. And often we think that that's where the gold is, right? Like if you just tell me enough good things, I'll mine all of those good things and I'll find the gold. But maybe sometimes the gold is in the thing you don't want to hear. So even if if somebody, even if someone shares something with you in a way that you don't necessarily like it, like they could have done a better job yeah. communicating it to you. Maybe they did it with a bad attitude or they didn't say it in words that were best for you to receive it mine that stuff for the gold, like look for the truth in it uh, because we need, we need the truth. Yeah. That is, that is such mm-hmm. good advice. I, some of the wisest people I know that they, they say, this is one of the things that made me grow is that even when, even when I was really annoyed with my critic, I, I made sure I, I found the kernel of truth there, the, 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 the thing. So that's, that's so good. 
Um, I, you know, very similar, you know, you want to, you want to invite feedback. I especially think, um, it's important to invite feedback in places where you have the upper hand or you, you are, people are not likely to tell you. So like, if you, if you've got a, a boss, you've got a, you know, a, a parent or whatever, like they, it's almost like their job to say, Hey, I want to give you some correction or whatever. So you, like they have permission to do that. Um, but if you're the boss or if you're the parent or you're the person who's got the kind of, you know, uh, power position in a sense, it is much harder for the other people. Like the prophet going to the Kings as they're sitting on their thrones, like, especially with other people who are already kind of, you know, sucking up to them. That's a really hard, like you have to, if you're the person on the throne in whatever the relationship is, you've got to like, like invite, deliberately invite. Like that's where you're most likely to be deceived because you, because people won't tell you it. So you've got to invite it really deliberately. Um, You know, this is a common practice. Like, you know, here, here at the church, we do 360 reviews. We're kind of in the middle of that season right now doing that sort of thing. But it's those kinds of things where you get all the people around you, to, to actually give you honest feedback about how you're doing. Um, it's just so so key, so key. And one other thing before we wrap up, uh, if you are still thinking about that scene where Micaiah is standing in the court of heaven and he's seeing God and this like group of spiritual beings around them making decisions and plans, um, that's kind of a strange scene. And you might be thinking about that. Um, the Bible Project actually did a whole series of videos about the idea of spiritual beings and this divine counsel and so on. Uh, it's really interesting, really informative. Uh, so you might want to check that out. I don't know how many videos there are, maybe six or seven, uh, but you can find that uh, on the Bible Project website. That's really good. All right, well, friends, that's all that we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. And in the meantime, if you're not following along, you can find the reading plan by going to BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading along. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.